1: And this time the pages are on helping people get through a divorce. We will talk about that free offer at the end of the show. But first, divorce. Did you know that there were close to 747,000 divorces in the United States in 2020? That's like a one-year period, folks. And experts predict that somewhere between 40 and 50% of all marriages existing today will ultimately end in divorce. I remember seeing that stat way many years ago, and I'm sorry to say it hasn't improved. We are breaching this subject today because of these astronomical stats, but additionally, because COVID is playing a role in increasing those numbers. Although there is no such thing as an easy divorce, there are some ways that are better to handle it than others. In fact, our guest today, Jamie Davis, a certified specialist in family law, has written a book about it called, A Year and a Day, Divorce Without Destruction. We are hoping she will provide some insight into this subject. Welcome, Jamie.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Jamie, how do you think the pandemic has impacted marriages? I mean, it's, is it time for divorce or is it just COVID?
0: has impacted marriages in in so many ways. With the pandemic, the baseline of stress is already elevated. And anytime there are extra stressors in a marriage, couples can just be pushed to the brink. And so people are exhausted. It's increasing anxiety, depression, disconnection between spouses. Um, Actually, I've recently had the pleasure of speaking with Caroline Landon She's a marriage counselor at Awakenings Counseling um, here in Raleigh, and according to Caroline, COVID has really exposed the cracks and the foundation of marriages. Um, For most couples, these cracks, you know, they existed before the pandemic, but what COVID has done is to take away coping mechanisms and other outlets with so many couples working at home together, you know, before they could escape to the office, but now there's no Mm -hmm. escape for them. Um, You know, gyms, restaurants, bars were all closed for a time. And so it became difficult for folks to socialize with friends, which can be another outlet from the marriage. Um, And also for those spouses who chose to cope with the cracks in their marriage by having an affair, The pandemic really exposed those affairs in in many situations. You know, it can be very difficult to text your girlfriend if your wife is sitting Mm -hmm. next to you on the couch. And so we've seen a lot of folks in those types of situations getting caught. Um, I would say if you aren't sure if it's time for a divorce or just the extra stress being placed on the marriage by the pandemic, I would recommend that the couple um, seek some marriage counseling as a way to see if they can reconnect with one another.
1: Makes sense. So I'm assuming, well, of course, consultations have gone up for you. Um, on what level is that looking like?
0: Well, I would say beginning in the fall of 2020, that's really when we started no, you know, noticing that increase. With COVID starting in March, I guess it took probably about six months. And then um, we started seeing more folks interested in getting some divorce advice. You know, different sources say that divorce rates are dropping. Others say that they're increasing. What I know from my experience is that we are seeing an increase in the number of folks, you know, seeking out advice about divorce, scheduling consultations, and really just wanting to know what they can expect if they decide to proceed with the separation.
1: Well, you know, this crazy pandemic, it has changed everything. It's spidered into everything in our lives. So how has the pandemic changed divorce?
0: So I think the pandemic has changed divorce in in two main ways. Um, the first way is logistics. Things are just taking longer. Um, the courts were backed up for a while. They were actually closed at the beginning of the pandemic for a while And so cases are, you know, moving a little slower through the court system. Um, We're also finding that the logistics of the case itself has been a little complicated, like the valuation of the marital property. Um, You know, the value of various assets, specifically businesses that the couples own, um, may vary dramatically now than what they would have been at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, Another issue that we're seeing is the ability for the spouse who is moving out to find housing in this hot housing market that we have right now. Um, And and also along those lines, the value of the marital residence, Um, you know, what it might sell for on the open market right now might be dramatically higher than what an appraisal would show. And so that's presenting some problems in divorce cases. And the other way I would say that the pandemic has changed divorce is with respect to the issues that we're seeing. Um, The issues have changed a little bit, especially with custody. We're having a lot more discussion in our cases with clients about things like whether or not the spouse agrees to have the child vaccinated if the child is old enough, Mm -hmm. or are the parents on the same page with what they both think is safe in terms of what to allow the child to do? You know, is it? Okay, for the child to attend a sleepover? Is it okay for the parents to have a birthday party for the child? Um, You know, these things can be hard to agree on when you're in an intact family, but, you know, throw a separation into the mix and it can just increase the conflict.
1: So you've come along with some help, which is fantastic, writing this book, A Year and a Day Divorce Without Destruction. I love that title. How can divorce be non destructive?
0: Well, I've been doing this for about 20 years now, Um, you know, working with clients who are going through separation and divorce. And what I have found is that contrary to popular belief, divorce does not have to mean the destruction of family relationships or the family finances. There is a way to get through it. It is a process. Um, But if you go about it the right way, you can come out on the other side a little more unscathed. Um, I find this way of divorce to be less stressful on the parties, to be less expensive. Um, A divorce without destruction can lead to a better co-parenting relationship if children are involved. And, And what I try to do is I strive to guide my clients through the process in a way that helps them avoid conflict where they can. You know, obviously there's going to be some conflict. These folks are getting divorced for a reason, and so you can't always avoid the conflict, but you can learn to pick your battles and you can learn to let an issue go when it's not going to advance your goals. Um, and I, you know, found that if folks will just try to get in that mindset, the process is a lot easier for them. Um, you know, other ways to have a divorce without destruction prioritize self-care. Self-care is really important when you're going through this process. You know, divorces are one of the most stressful things that a person might go through in their life. And so making sure that you have the right tools available to you, whether that's seeing a therapist or, you know, whatever it is, it's that's self care to you. Practicing mindfulness, going for a walk, different folks do different things to relieve stress. I also think that assembling a team of professionals to help you can go a long way in having a divorce without destruction. Um, Once you assemble your team, it's usually a lawyer, a therapist, a financial advisor, perhaps an accountant to help you with some of these financial issues. Then you can put the burden on them and they can start doing some of the heavy lifting for you so that you can just get back to the job of living your life.
1: Now, mediation is something else, as it can be a very effective way to resolve issues outside of the court. Uh, It's usually more uh, cost-effective and, again, less destructive to resolve family law cases outside of the court. Tell us the benefits of mediation.
0: Yeah, mediation could be super helpful in family law cases um, for a few reasons. It is a quicker process, most often, than going to court, and the parties themselves have more control over when they will attend the mediation session. Um, Usually, the lawyers work with the mediator, and they find a date that works for everyone's schedule versus trying to get a date for a hearing on a court calendar, which, you know, it can take months, and even then, there's no guarantee that your case will be heard that day. If the mm-hmm. calendar is full, you can get bumped to another calendar in the uh. future. And so that can be super frustrating
1: mm-hmm. um, You know,
0: if, if you've gotten ready to go to court and you get there and they just don't have time to hear your case that day.
1: Well, yeah, and you're already probably anxiety ridden and <laughs> stressed and you've done all your prep work and now you got to go home and do it all over again. I mean, that's terrible.
0: Absolutely. And it can add to the cost of your case as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if your lawyer has to get ready for it, and it gets bumped, and you're not going to be heard until six months later, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, your lawyer's not going to remember all the details of your case, and they're going to need to prepare again, and you're going to need to prepare again. And so mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely.
1: Help us understand a little bit just through the process. So, so basically, let's say someone has made the decision to divorce, I guess they would come first to a lawyer and do the paperwork. And then are you saying like this, uh, the, the mediation would take the place of court altogether? Like you can just do this mediation and get it, uh, you know, everything you need to get your divorce.
0: Yes. And no, okay. um, the, the couple can resolve their child custody and financial issues outside of court, usually in a private contract known as a separation agreement. It's a contract Just like any other contract, it would say who gets what property, who pays who, spousal support or child support, if any, and and what the custody schedule would be. Both parties would sign it, it would be notarized, and and they would be done. Um, If you attend a mediation, usually what happens is at the end of the mediation, if you reach an agreement, you sign what's called a mediated settlement agreement. Same thing, it gets notarized and you have a binding contract. And at that point, one lawyer or the other will then go back and draft the formal separation agreement that will be signed, and you'll be done with with those issues. But the divorce itself is still out there. So to be divorced in North Carolina, you have to be legally separated for one year and one day, and then you can file your lawsuit for divorce. Um, To be legally separated. You don't need a piece of paper that says you're legally separated. But what you have to do, you have to live under separate roofs with the intent of at least one of you that the separation be permanent. And so what that means practically is that the two of you cannot just say, hey, we're separated and live in separate bedrooms. Even separate sides of a duplex is not good enough. You literally have to be under a separate roof for that year and a day. And then either one of you can file for the divorce. That does have to be an actual complaint that gets filed with the court, but it's not the kind of lawsuit where anybody's going to be, you know, going into court and, and fighting over things. Truly, the only issue is whether or not the folks have actually been separated for a year. And so, in most cases, um, the divorce boils down to some paperwork. If one of the parties hires a lawyer, usually that lawyer can handle the paperwork and the person may never need to go in the courthouse. Um, If they decide to represent themselves, which they can, um, there's actually a self-help packet you can buy at the courthouse if you want to do that. Um, You will have to actually go down there for a court hearing, but um, it's still a very simple process.
1: So you do the, the separation paperwork first. If it's uncontested, easy. If it's a little contested, do the mediation. Then you're all set for a year and a day. You have to live separately. You have your separation agreement. Then after a year and a day, day, then you do the lawsuit suit for the actual divorce. So when do you, do you finally, you know, when are you finally divorced? Was after that year and a day and you do that lawsuit, How much longer do you have to wait before your divorce to be finalized?
0: So that's a great question. Um, So once you have filed that complaint for divorce, what you have to do is you have to serve it on your spouse. And that usually happens by sheriff or certified mail. And then from there, the spouse has 30 days to file a response if they wish to do so. Um, A lot of times, no response gets filed at all. Like I said before, it's really the only defense to a divorce is that the separation hasn't actually been a year. But if you want to resume the use of your maiden name, you can you know, file a response to the divorce and ask the court to allow you to change your name back. So I would say in most cases, the process takes about 45 days from the time the complaint is served on the other party.
1: Do you have to go actually into the courtroom at the end or you just file these papers and if it's if, you know, the 30 days go by and there's no response that needs to be dealt with, you're just done? No. So
0: there's a couple of ways to make the actual divorce go through. Mm -hmm. Um, If you do not have a lawyer, you're going to have to show up for a very small court hearing where the judge asks you a couple of simple questions like, when you were married, do you have children, when did you separate, et cetera, and then the judge will sign the divorce judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have a lawyer, your lawyer can handle the paperwork for you and you would not need to go to the court.
1: So if uh, everything were to, we can't even get in, we don't have enough time to get into like an actual contested um, or sometimes very difficult divorce situations. But in something like this, if it's pretty much, you you both agreed on the separation and or even if you went to mediation and you went from there, how expensive is is that process to get divorced if you go that route? We can't talk contested, but if it's that simple, what kind of financial burden is that to get a divorce?
0: Um, So there is a wide range. I will say that the divorce itself is usually not that expensive um, because in most cases the actual divorce is not contested. Um, the expensive part can really be trying to resolve those other claims that arise from the marriage, such as child custody, child support, alimony, and equitable distribution. Um, if the spouses are fairly amicable and are able to reach a separation agreement without a lot of negotiation back and forth, I would say a typical cost can be $5,000 to $10,000 provided the marital estate is not too complicated. Um, but anything that is not amicable and requires litigation, I would say the cost usually starts at 10000 and goes up from there.
1: And you mentioned alimony. Is that a given in North Carolina?
0: Alimony is not a given in North Carolina. There are a couple of things that have to be determined before a person will be entitled to alimony. The first part of determining whether a person is entitled to receive alimony is really a financial analysis. Um, The court will first look to see whether or not the person is dependent on their spouse for support, and if so, does their spouse have the ability to pay them alimony? There's no formula for calculating alimony in North Carolina, so when we're trying to determine the amount of alimony a person needs, we look at their monthly budget, and from that budget, we subtract any income they earn and any child support they receive and then the difference is what they would need in alimony from the other spouse. Um, it is important to note, though, that if a person who would otherwise be entitled to alimony has committed adultery, in North Carolina, that person is actually barred from receiving alimony.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: that can result in a pretty harsh outcome in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For example, if a couple was married for 30 years and let's say one spouse did not work outside of the home during that time, and did not have any real ability to earn income, but that person had a one-night stand, he or she would be barred from receiving alimony in North Carolina.
1: Whoa. But what you're saying is that even if one spouse is totally dependent on you, You look at the budget, so it's not an automatic given for one thing. And for another thing, you would look at the budget. So maybe somebody's totally dependent on you, but you just can't afford to pay them alimony, then the court would not give alimony? So it's
0: it's a balancing act. Um, That's a really good point. So we look at the dependent spouse's budget first and say, okay, do they need support from their spouse to pay their bills? And if the answer to that question is yes, then we look at the budget of the supporting spouse. And we say, okay, well, once supporting spouse pays their bills, because, you know, they're entitled to have a household too, is there any money left to pay the dependent spouse support? And if the answer is yes, great, we can come up with an alimony amount. If the answer is no, they don't quite have as much as the other spouse needs, then some sort of compromise number is usually where the alimony will shake out. But
1: it's not, but it's not a, a for sure thing. It's not a given. If you really just couldn't afford to pay alimony the court would side that way that you would not have to.
0: There are plenty of cases where I believe both spouses are dependent on each other to maintain their lifestyle. I mean, if you have Mm -hmm. two folks who are each earning $50,000 a year, that's a great income as a married couple, um, but maybe not so great when you get separated. And so at that point, since they make equal amounts of money, neither one of them would be dependent. But my guess is that the lifestyles of both of them would change since they didn't have access to the extra income to help pay their bills.
1: So we're almost out of time. I just would like to, um, uh, before we we talk about your generous offer for the free books and get some more details about your sites and such, just really quickly, you know, if somebody's struggling with their marriage, what would you recommend? Two things.
0: First, I would encourage them to seek out couples counseling if their spouse is willing to go and see if, you know, the marriage is salvageable. Um, Sometimes relationships just get stuck and marriage counseling can be a great way to help get the relationship unstuck and see if there's a way to get everything back on track. And at the same time, I would encourage them to at least have a consultation with a divorce lawyer. So as they're deciding whether they want to remain married or whether they want to separate, they have the information they need to make an educated decision, Um, have an understanding of what the process will be like if they decide to separate. It's a very lengthy process. It can be overwhelming. And so going into it with the knowledge of What you can expect to receive on the other side, I think, is very important. I'm
1: sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot one question that a listener asked um, asked me to ask you, and that is, uh, and, and 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 please, to our listeners, every state differs when it comes to divorce. So we're kind of honing in on North Carolina here, but you'd have to, you know, it's a whole different ballgame in another state. But as far as North Carolina, is it a a 50-50 state as far as property division? So
0: in North Carolina, our division of property between separated spouses is called equitable distribution. And what the court is going to do is equitably divide the property between the spouses. That's the marital property, the property they acquired from the day they got married until the day they separated. Usually equitable does mean 50-50. However, there is this laundry list of factors why either one or both spouses, and I will tell you that in most cases, both spouses ask for more than 50%
1: of the property.
0: But I would Hmm. also say in most cases, it usually shakes out around a 50-50.
1: Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about marital property, uh, or since you know since you married, what about things like 401ks and and uh, stocks and things like that that just really belong to one of the of the two?
0: So in North Carolina, title does not control. It doesn't matter whose name the thing is in if the property, and it can include 401k stock, stock options personal property you name it if it was acquired during the marriage by one or both of the spouses and it was not there's a couple of exceptions if it wasn't an inheritance or a gift from a third party that property is going to be marital and subject to division
1: okay well i mean you've just been a a font of information for us from all things and especially i especially getting this divorce without destruction. So tell us, um, you were generously going to give away a few free books. Can you tell our listeners how to to go about getting in on that? Yeah, sure. So I would be happy
0: to give away free books to the first 10 people who email info at com and mention Triangle411, um, and I'll be happy to send out free copies of the books.
1: I like that, uh, info at com. That kind of says it all. And if people would like to, uh, talk to you further or order books, or, uh, I know you have a podcast, where, where, where should we send them, Jamie?
0: So there are a few places. Um, my law firm website is com, And on that website, there is information about the book and also about the A Year and a Day podcast. Um. The podcast itself is also available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and I am always happy to answer an email. So if anyone would like to reach out to me, my email is jdavis at com.
1: Wonderful. That is so generous of you. Okay well, okay. well, thank you so much. I hope we help some people, and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. So now let's just go into our nonprofit spotlight, which I've, I've uh, planned a little... <laughs> On the same lines here, just in case after all that information you need some legal help, the Legal Services Corporation is the single largest funder of civil legal aid for low-income Americans in the nation. Established in 1974, LSC operates as an independent 501c3 nonprofit corporation that promotes equal access to justice and provides grants for high-quality civil legal assistance to low-income Americans. And I'm taking this from their site. So the Legal Services Corporation distributes more than 90% of its total funding to 132 independent nonprofit legal aid programs with more than 800 offices. For info, go to lsc.gov, L as in legal, S as in services. C as in corporation. Dot gov. Okay, and it's yeah, we're definitely out of time. It's time to high five and say goodbye. Keep listening because you can hear us addressing policing issues. Oh, it's tough, but one blue lights college is taking it on. Or you can hear how aging is the new Star Wars. And you can learn the secret to scoring a house in this competitive housing market. Phew. So be sure to subscribe and like us. I'm Mary Ann for Triangle 411. Today, dot, 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 be strong for others.